It's wonderful to see every one of you. We're going to be uh, starting a brand new series, and it's going to be through the book of First John. So I can't remember the last time I've done anything in the book of First John. So this will be an experience. I haven't read it in a while. Um, it has been one of my, it has been a book of interest. I've enjoyed reading it in the past. Although, to be fully honest with you guys, the book of John is extremely logically confusing. Like if you, if you read the, um, you read parts of it, you go, oh yeah, okay, gotcha love one another. Sure. Got it. New command. I give you love one another, but it's not new. It's kind of old. And, you know, and, and those parts you'll be fine with, you'll, you'll, you'll maybe be confused about why is he saying it in the way he is saying it, but you can get it. And then there's other parts where the rational or the logical flow of his thought is just all over the place, or it feels that way to us. Um, it isn't in the ancient world, but it is to us as we read it. So again, keep in mind when we're reading the Bible, it is okay and for some, I think for most of you, you're used to me saying this, and so you're, you're okay with it. But in most settings, Christian settings, this would be really strange for a pastor to say, this is difficult, and this is confusing, and it doesn't make much sense, and because there's a fear to actually admit that. Um, but we're hearing one side of a conversation that took place uh, a couple thousand years ago uh, in a different culture. And so that's what we have to work through to understand. But there is a flow. And it's a brilliant flow and one in which the wisdom of it transcends to us today. Okay, so first John, what is this whole thing about? Well, it's about a lot of things. As in every book that has been written in scripture, it's never about one thing. I had a preaching professor who said, no, there is one big idea, you know, and, and, and you got to find that big idea. And I would say, and I used to, and it's funny because he would teach us all to find the big idea, but what would end up happening is all of us students would have the same passage, would have one big idea, but it was all different from each other. And that's that's what we're going to find continually, and we should, because this is a living document. It's a, it's a conversation between you and that wisdom. And that's what's beautiful about the spiritual journey is we're in a conversation and we're going to have different takes. We're going to have different understandings. But hopefully what it does is it grows us. And that's the point of this. And so once again, John, first John is um, about a number of different ideas. And we're going to look at those um, over the next few weeks. And the first one that I want to talk about is uh, from these passages. I posted them in Facebook. How many of you got a chance to read at least what I posted in Facebook, um, the sections of scripture? Okay, good. All right. so. We'll do something. Uh, let me just share this with you so you guys can follow along. We're going to reread the sections. Let me maximize this and then share my screen with you. All right. Good. You can see that now, I suppose. All right. So, first John 1, and we'll read right at the beginning here, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. All right, so we're going to do this somewhat together, okay? So what I'd like you to do is give me right now 
feedback on what is it that you're hearing in this, both explicitly and implicitly, okay? What is, what is explicit, plain? What is implicit, what is hinted at or what might be suggested? So put that in the notes. I'm not gonna continue until you write. <laughs> I wanna hear from you. What are you seeing explicitly? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, there's no right answer. Again, you, this is a dialogue you're going to have with scripture and you, and we all should. It's, it's, uh, that's what the point of this is. So what pops for you as I, as I read that part? And I'm going to stop share here so I can see the notes. Don't, worry, don't think too deeply, just what is popping out for you as you read that? We tend to only believe what we can see with our eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But he is, that's what his, that's the claim he's making. We have seen with our eyes. We have touched. Right. So what's he getting at? You're right. We tend to only believe what we see with our eyes. Press in a little bit more. That which we have seen, we have touched. Why? Let me put a pose a question that might be helpful to you. Why would have that be important? Why not just jump into the point that he's trying to make? You can unmute yourself if you prefer to talk. Then write. Are you confused? <laughs> okay. That which we have seen with our eyes, which we have handled, that we have touched. Okay. Why is that important? Keep that in mind, because as we continue reading, you're going to start to see that this is not incidental that he says this. It's, it's not a like a, it's not like a, well, you know, I just I'm being I'm being flowery. I'm being descriptive in my my language here. Like he's being specific about we have seen it. We have touched it. It was physical. OK, so that's the first hint. It's physical. Whatever it is that he's about to say that is of absolute importance to us is he is saying this thing is physical. I've touched it. There I go. Um, yeah. Is he saying something like, um, as in faith, you know, we, we can't see it. And like our, our religion and our, our Jesus and God, we can't see him <clears throat> with our own eyes and we can't touch him. But like the, we have to have the faith that is there, the trust that it's there. Well, that is what, thanks for saying that. That is what um, most people would think. Mm. All right. So I'm going to, this will be. I, I'm, this is my intro to Bible with you guys. So this is why I'm trying to learn. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're with us in doing that. And I'm, and I, and the questions in the wrestling back and forth is very important. So I'm going to put you back on mute, but I'm going to, what I'm going to do is, is that's an excellent question. It's an excellent segue. Yes, we have been told very many times that that it does not that the seeing and the physical and all that does not matter. It's the spiritual that matters, right? This I'll tell you where this stems from in, in a moment, but this is not actually true. <laughs> so this is what, but that's what I was taught. So I grew up with that too, and it wasn't until I started seeing this over and over again in Scripture and then hearing from others who were wrestling with some similar truths that it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've missed that the entire time. Um, but yes, Jim, exactly. It reminds me of the gospel of John, which is, which is why for a moment, I'm like, man, they gotta be the same author, but most, most scholars believe they're not, but boy, do they say a lot of similar things. Um, so 
let's continue reading on and I'm going to share the screen again with you all and um, share screen. Here we go. All right. So um, verse two, the life appeared. We have seen it. Okay. It, look at this. This is so interesting. The life as if it's a noun, whatever this thing, this person that he's going to see that he's speaking about, he's speaking about it in these metaphors, right? The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was, again, the noun, the pronoun almost, which is what the Father has appeared to us, which was with the Father, excuse me, and has appeared to us, okay? So whatever this was, the eternal life, uh, the life was with the Father and appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen, heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, we write this to make our joy in the year in the, there are different manuscripts, original, uh, not original, but um, manuscripts in the, um, from which this is translated. And so in some cases it's translated as your, so our, your, I would say both are important. We write this to make our joy, your joy complete. Okay. And we're going to find out why that is important. Why our joy in this is important. Let's bounce to Second John. So what I'm doing is I'm skipping over the content, the flow of what he's saying in First John, because there's an underlying framework that informs everything that we do not have today. It's a framework that we don't, that we've lost, but we need to reclaim in order to understand uh, what John is saying. And so the framework is, we'll see it visceral, or not viscerally, but we'll feel it maybe visceral, but we're going to see it explicitly more and more as we see these combined together. So look at 2 John in verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Um, even now, and by the way, in, in the um, Greek, and unfortunately it's lost in the translation, but in the Greek, it's we have heard that Antichrist is without a definite article. It just says Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For they, if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, we don't know who these people are. Um, that's not as important. But verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. And that's very interesting. All of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son also has the father. Okay. So before we jump to the, to, to the uh, third and final section that we're going to look at, let me just explain this a bit. When he says antichrist, we would immediately think in terms of today, in terms of what's been popularized in American um, Christianity. This is not that. <laughs> so antichrist is a is the way they're speaking of this whatever this is that we're we're looking at the physical that that we saw earlier that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at with our hands and touched this 
we proclaim concerning the word of life. So whatever John is saying, it's so important for us, for, for him to say this, that this is physical. Do you get it? Like he's, so whatever he's saying, he's like, this is physical. Okay. This is not, I'm not talking about something that is up in the ether. I'm talking about something physical that appeared to us. Um, and it is life and eternal life. And it was with the father and has appeared to us. So when he comes to this section, there is an antichrist or anti-spirit of antichrist that is present. And there are many antichrists that have come. And, uh, and then he, verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Okay. So first of all, let me say, to, to, to clarify this first section, and then it'll make sense of the second section. John is going against a popular notion, a popular view. It's called the Platonic view. I'm going to stop share for a moment and then start share again. Um, Plato was a philosopher that, ex that was so influential in the culture in which all of this is being written. Plato existed sometime, nobody knows his exact birth date, but somewhere around four to 300 years before Christ came, before Jesus came. And it was during that period of time that Plato wrote so much and influenced so many people that he became the father of, um, of, of, of what became a lot of philosophy, Stoicism, and all that. Plato actually influenced St. Augustine. How many have heard of Augustine? St. Augustine uh, was highly influenced by Plato and, and wrote and much theology that formed the theology that we have today. Um, so Plato himself has a view about spirituality. His view of spirituality is that the soul matters, not the body. And that there's, an, there's a sort of dissension of order. The mind is the most important. Second um, is, is the, uh, are things like emotions and appetites, which are supposed to be quelled. So there's this word that was developed in the ancient world, which is called uh, apatheia in Greek. Now you'll know, you'll recognize that word, right? Apathy, apatheia. And it became the, the influence. This is what all of the philosophers, all the religious leaders prior to Jesus talked about was apatheia. How do you live without appetites? Why? Because the appetites they saw is what got people in trouble. It's what caused people to get addicted, to get like, to, to be all kinds of immoral, and it didn't serve the city. It didn't serve the, the, the community, the cities, uh, so that they flourished. So these philosophers, Plato was saying, look, what matters is you control these appetites. So he saw them as emotions and then lower as the appetites. There were sort of the appetites live somewhere around the navel area, okay? And so what his view was, because that this, this was important, and that the soul was the thing that actually escaped the body. This is where all of the sin lied. This is where all the problems laid is was in the, was in the physical body. <clears throat> and so the goal was to actually quell the body as much as possible, to reduce its appetites, to control it as much as possible until you were finally dead and then you're free. And then the soul would ascend back and uh, be with God. Uh, and that was, the, uh, that, that was the dream and the hope. Now, this is the reason why much of Christian theology was based upon escapism and, and escaping this world, the physical world where all the sin is, and then going to heaven and living there, right? 
but it doesn't match up quite really, it doesn't really match up well with scripture. <laughs> because Paul says physical resurrection matters, like really matters, like your body being resurrected. So um, there's a whole turn of emphasis in scripture, much more on the physical, but you still see some of these influences, a lot of influences of uh, Plato and, um, and other philosophers. So I say all that to make this point. What's happening there for John is John is saying, this is not some disembodied spiritual thing that lives up in the heavens. This is God in the flesh, in the physical. This is what makes John's writing and other gospels writing so scandalous in its day is they're saying that the physical, the appetites, the emotions, all of these things are, are, are important and are in matter. They're not to be discarded. They're not to be gotten rid of. And that was difficult for people of the ancient world to hear is that God became, that you mean this person who's Jesus, who was physical, who had an appearance, who wasn't maybe perfect physically looking and wasn't probably perfect in his work and had physical appetites and did things that every other human did and needed to sleep and went to the bathroom just like every other human. You're calling that individual God. You're calling that individual Christ. And because of that, it was tempting for people to say that can't be. There has to be this like abstract, absolute, perfect thing that lives up somewhere else. It can't be that this human is Christ, that this human is God. That can't be. That offends my mind. That offends a lot of things. And what do you do with all these appetites and all of this stuff that we've been trying to quell because they get us into trouble? And John is saying that which we have touched and seen with our hands, it's material, it's physical. This is the one that we proclaim to you is Christ. And that if anybody says that Jesus is not the Christ, they are people who are antichrist. Okay, because they have said this, not, it's not possible that he's anointed. Let me say a little bit about Christ, what Christ means. Christ means anointed it's it's a, it's a, it's it's this word that comes from um from greek that has this root word that both christ and anointed one all are, are derived from it's charisma not charisma but charisma and that is the or the origin of the word is just simply means something set apart anointed special different and and so this this idea of uh there's this coming christ this coming anointed one who's going to be different who's going to be set apart, who's going to be you know, somehow impactful in this world and change this world, this is coming. And Jesus is that Christ. And he is also called God. And Christ is within Jesus. And Jesus is the Christ. And now, as you'll see, as we move on to this next section, um, 2 John 18, uh, dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming, even how many Antichrists have come. 
Uh, let's just bounce to verse 20. But you have an anointing, same derivative word, an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie comes from the truth. So this is what he is saying here is that, look, you have the same thing. You have Christ. You have this anointing. You have this thing within you. This is also the reason why we were called in the ancient world. We began to be called Christians or little Christs. It's because of this belief that, that they held, that the early church held, which was we now have the Christ within us. We have this truth. We have this thing in our bodies. We do not need to die and be go off disembodied with our souls to heaven. We do not need to somehow get rid of this flesh, but that this is all part of it and that it lives within us and that we too have this truth, this Christ that lives within us. So look at the final section um, that we'll look at chapter four. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is, um, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. All right. So, have I thoroughly confused you? I hope I have. Um, this, is, this is essentially the point. There is a resistance and always has been a resistance to God being in the material. We even think of God. If I were to ask you, tell me where God is, most of you would probably say, well, God is everywhere or God is, but you would think of God as in the heavens, wouldn't you? As belonging or living somewhere outside of the physical domain outside of this earth, outside of that which is belongs to this realm. It's spirit realm. It's something other than that. Now, certainly the Bible does have, it does have you know, statements where it makes, you know, authors make that, like, this is where God is. Um, but John is also making the case that spirit has come and lives within the material and has become the material, has become part of the material world. Um, and that is, that is what is, makes this incredibly difficult for a lot of people to understand and to, and, and to actually um, appreciate is the wisdom and the depth of what that could mean. Because the, the desire for us or the understanding for us is that the further away we are from the physical realm, um, and certainly the ancients believe that, the closer you are to heaven, you move towards heaven, away from the earth. So even the temples were built higher, even though, you know, you met God on the mountains. It was closer to heaven away from the physical world. So this matters enormously because what it means is that uh, for us today is that um, many of us try to also, we also think about how do I pray or how do I access God? How do I get to know God? where, you know, but you get to know God through prayer, you get to know God through talking to God, and we do feel like we can have that conversation, that relationship with God. Um, but there's also sometimes um, a difficulty believing that the truth or that the Christ is within us to such a degree that we can hear God from within, that there's still this view that God lives outside of who we are, outside of us, and that the answers are also outside of us, 
and that the truth lies outside of us. And, um, and, and so when we go to look for God, we also oftentimes think about God as, is, is, uh, is away from us, somewhere outside beyond us. I even have heard folks say, and I used to say this all the time, um, I know I heard from God because it isn't what I would normally do. And there's a good amount of truth to that because sometimes our normal patterns of behavior are really, you know, keep us stuck. Um, but it's also that we could say that God's, God speaks within us and is within us and that we don't always have to believe that everything that is naturally our desires or naturally our, our wishes cannot be from God. They must be from outside of, you know, it, it must be against God. Maybe God's wishes, God's desire must necessarily be contrary to mine, you know. Um, and that is, that is oftentimes the way we have thought about, about, uh, about God. I remember talking to somebody who said, you know, um, I'm just trying to figure out what God wants for my life. And then um, I said, well, maybe God wants, maybe God's got the same question to you. Like, what do you want for your life? And she walked away and actually thought about it deeply and came back and said, you know, the funny thing about it is I actually do know uh, what I want. And here's what I want. But I've been afraid that it might not be what God wants. Like, yeah. But John would say, but you have this truth that lives within you. You already have it. You don't need the truth that lies from outside of yourself all the time. Now, yes, it's outside of yourself as well, but it shouldn't be that you look for it outside only. It's that it's also something within you. And both of those, you know, outside and inside are having a conversation. But this is the thing that we have to wrestle with is how much it has influenced our thinking to the degree that we actually don't trust our own inner voice. And John says, you should, you should trust that. And the more that you trust that, you're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. But the more that you trust that and exercise that, the more that it's going to become something you can rely on. There's a Christ within you, the hope of glory, as Paul would say. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery. This is the scandal. It is unbelievable to any ancient mind that God would live in flesh. Now, today we have, a, we have an easier time with that because we've worked through it. But there's still so much more, of course. All right, so that's one of the reasons why John is so adamant about anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This isn't a, just a religious statement like, you know, Christians versus non-Christians. This is about if you believe that Jesus, that the, if you don't believe that Christ came in the person of Jesus, then you won't believe that it's possible for you either. And you will always, and, and the funny thing about it is the evangelical church has done exactly that. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus was the Christ. He's the man. He's the man. He's the man. We worship him. Yeah, but you're missing the entire point. That's not the point. The point is, if Jesus is the Christ, then you can have the Christ within you as well. That's the point. Well, you know, I, I'm trying to hear from God. Well, have you been listening to your friends and those closest to you? No, no, I really want to hear from God. Have you been listening to the inner voice? No, no, no. I really want to hear from God. Well, that's exactly the point that, jo that John is trying to make is like the, 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 the act of denial. This is what makes him you know, pretty frustrated for John is there's, there's a lot of people that are denying that Christ is within us. It still is something that is beyond and outside of. But, you know, it's funny about those people who deny that is that they want you to listen to them. I have the answers. 
let, let me tell you. So, so, you know, you shouldn't trust your, have you ever heard this? You know, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. You know, you shouldn't trust your heart. Have you heard that? How many have heard that? That is, it's the funniest thing. It's, it's only one verse in the entire Bible that says that. And there's so many other passages that actually instruct us to love the Lord, our God with our whole heart. If you can't trust your heart, then how can you love God with your heart? Right? So there's, there's a poetic, it's a poetic verse, by the way, when it says that it's, it's making a point, <laughs> which the use of exaggerations, the use of extremes was very common in the ancient world, all the way through, uh, through the New Testament. And so it's, this, it, it, it's, it's not making the point to not trust your heart, or rather to say, um, there were a group of people back then, and Jeremiah is saying this, in which all these leaders, all these religious leaders, all have an agenda, and they're trying to control you, and they're trying to oppress you. Boy, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And he's talking about motivations. Like, boy, their motivations are really messy, and sometimes our own motivations are messy, and sometimes it's really difficult to understand them. But that does not mean that you cannot hear Christ within you. And so rather than listening to the person who says, you shouldn't trust your heart by implication, you should trust what I'm telling you as the leader, is, uh, is wrong. And it's, a, it's part of the whole antichrist spirit. The antichrist spirit is don't trust your own self. Don't trust the voice. And, you know, worship Jesus the Christ who's in the Bible but don't actually believe that the Christ that came through Jesus is also present within you. And by the way, not only within you, but within the people that are around you and that you can hear the Christ constantly speaking to you and you can hear the truth and you have access to it. Not only is it there, but it's also everywhere in nature. That's why Romans starts out the way Romans starts out with the nature itself reveals the glory of God. That in nature, you can walk in through the woods or you can be on the beach and on the ocean and you can hear and feel the whispers of God right there in, the na in, in nature itself. And it is absolutely powerful. And many of you have had these, these very emotional experiences around nature. You've had insights. You've had wisdom come to you through that. And so this is where um, the truth is is the truth is accessible. It is everywhere. And you do not need to have anybody teach you, right? That's what another author in, in the New Testament says. You have no need for teachers because you have the spirit. Now, why would the author say that? Yet he was teaching, right? He's saying that to say, look, there is, a, there is the Christ within you and you can tune into that and you can start to trust that as you also hear what other people are saying, they're hearing from Christ as well. And then as you start to hear that, it starts to create this larger sense of the voice of Christ within the community. I remember an exercise that we did with the teens years ago when we were teen pastors, and uh, we had the teens all get together and, uh, or separate out. You said, go, go to your separate places, and I want you to read a verse, and I want you to see if you can hear spirit speak to you. They all went off. They did that. They came back. And then we had them all share. And as they began to share in a circle, there was this theme that started to emerge. 
And they were stunned. Their mouths were dropping open and they were like, I can't believe this. And so we started calling that the greater voice of God. And it was just an amazing experience. But for them, it was so empowering that they could actually hear from God for themselves and really trust that. Um, so this is the, uh, this is what we're talking about. And then to know the, um, to know the, uh, that, uh, let's see if there's, what else did I want to say about, about that? Um, yeah. So this is, this is the setup to what John is going to say in terms of what actually separates us from the world, as he calls it, the cosmos, the, the world systems, the order of the world. And in John, we're going to look at this um, in the weeks to come, but in John, he separates the, the, um, the, the followers of Christ from those who are not, but he doesn't do it by the ways we would think of, which was, do you believe that Jesus is Christ? Okay, that makes you a Christian. Do you believe that Jesus was a Christ? No. Okay. That makes you a non-Christian. He doesn't separate it out that way. That's what we would think because as he's arguing this, he's saying Jesus is the Christ. Anybody who does not believe that is the antichrist. Right. And we would think, well, there he goes. He's separating out that. No, no, no. Because what he's saying is the real separation is those who love and those who don't. That's what he says in the book of John. And you'll see that repeated over and over again. What he is saying is that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you also believe that you have the Christ within you. And if you have the Christ within you, then one of the tests of that and one of the truths of that is that you will act more loving towards other people, more loving, not less loving. And that's the real division. And so Christ within us is the one that guides us into all truth and that we have access to this truth. But most of us who've had these experiences with waking up to something, with having these moments of aha, with having these deep insights, what has it done to your heart? Has it caused you to be less loving or has it caused you to be more loving? What's powerful about it is instead of what Plato thought, which was that it, you, we had to get rid of all of these things, get rid of the emotions, get rid of the appetites, is that when Christ is really within us and we believe that and we, we act like it, it's not something you have to go get. It's something that you awaken, that you believe in, right? John's also going to talk about what that looks like. Like the light, he talks about the light. The light has already come. It's already here. You don't have to go get it. Is that when you begin to trust that, that what happens is instead of you having to repress the appetites and worry about, well, my appetite's going to lead me to addiction. My appetite's going to lead me to doing something wrong. My appetite's going to, instead of distrusting them, what happens is they begin to become redeemed. And you understand that there's, that, that, that these appetites are just scratching the surface is something deeper that your appetites are pointing to. It's deeper because it's, it's a desire for something, for connection with something, connection with God, connection with other people. It's a desire with connection, reconnection with the self. And so you can trust that spirit takes all of that, but it's scary because you have to, you have to trust it. You have to trust that you already have the truth. We prefer having someone else tell us what the rules are and how to behave and how to think and how to do stuff. But to actually begin to trust that Christ can guide you from within, whew, that's terrifying. 
to, to relax that my appetites, if I press more deeply, they're going to actually point me to something right, something good, something more beautiful, something more loving. Whew, that's scary too. And yet that's part of the journey. And that's what makes this whole thing scandalous. It's because it's completely different than what anybody ever imagined in the ancient world. And to this day, we're still trying to figure it out and unpack it. But this is the idea that Christ has come in the physical world and God has become physical. And that's why you can look at a tree and be touched by that and go, wow, God was there. You can look at a child and hear a child speak to you and in a moment feel like, oh my gosh, they just said something that totally impacted my life and changed me. Yeah, Christ within them, the hope of glory. Oh my gosh, Christ in, you know, in this traffic jam and I'm so frustrated. I turn the radio on and something hits me and I feel the spirit. Yeah, Christ in that moment, Christ in all things, Christ in me, Christ in you, the true hope of glory. So my friends, this is the underlying framework for the book of John, and we'll be unpacking all of this as he makes his way through what it means to be Christ in the flesh. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. That was so good. It was so good. I remember when I, when I first found Jesus, like when I first had decided to have a relationship with him, and there was two instances that come to mind. I remember being up at St. Basil's and going up to get communion and I, I didn't, I didn't even feel like I was deserving to like touch the Eucharist. Like I just didn't even like think that I should, because I'd done so many bad things. And um, Father Martin had said to me, he pulled me aside and he said, you're deserving. Like you are deserving, like take it in your hands and hold it. And I was like, it just blew my mind. And then one of the first times I sat down with Joel, when I came to Vine 39, he said to me, like, you have to start trusting the Jesus inside you. And I was like, it just blew my mind that he would even want to be inside of me. Like how was God inside of me? I've done so many horrible things in my life and, um, and it takes so much work. And I think it's so important that if anyone else struggles with trusting that Jesus inside you, you just keep giving yourself grace and keep trying again because he's there. And it's like, so the blessings are just, it's just amazing. And it does, it comes easier. The more you trust it, the more it comes. And it just, it just blows me away. I love you guys all so much. That's all I got. Abby's on benediction. I love you all. Have a beautiful week. Give yourself grace. Um, well, for the benediction, it's going to be um, maybe a two-minute exercise, so I'm not going to actually speak a blessing over you. Um, you know, we all love beautiful words and somebody to give us a beautiful blessing. Um, but really... It's about connection, connecting with others and to God. And so I'm going to challenge you to um, take a minute and be vulnerable and ask God how you want him to bless you this week. What blessing do you need from God this week? And then the second minute, ask him for it. So we're just going to take a moment of silence. And maybe you know right away what blessing you're you're needing and maybe you don't so just take a minute
be brave. Be brave with your asking. continue to ask thank you that you are with us thank you that you are good and that you are rich and abundant and long to bless thank you for this community and this group of people and may they walk forward full of your fullness, Lord. Mm -hmm. 